0: We have not had a chance to meet. Uh, my name is Jimmy Agin, and I am one of the pastors here at Intown. And um, because I'm the shortest, I get to be the senior pastor. That's uh, that's the way we decided to do it here. Uh, not really, but uh, we are in week number uh, three of a four week series about cross cultural friendship and ministry. Uh, we'll talk more about that in a couple of moments. I want to pray for us as we begin. But first, I want to introduce a special uh, guest or two. Uh, Many of you will recognize Tracy Dager. Tracy, where are you? I've lost you. There you go. You want to stand? Was Joy able to make it today? Is she here? Joy, if you'll stand. Joy and Tracy Dager, who are missionaries, members of InTown, part of our community for many years now. And uh, we're glad that they're here with us. And uh, a special guest, uh, Pastor David Zedonk. From Israel so um, Pastor David uh, is the leader of a church that our mission team was able to visit a couple of years ago and uh, then we're welcomed into his home for a lunch and long conversation about uh, the ministries that he and his uh, family and church are able to lead uh, in Israel and uh, just a kindred spirit we're so glad to have you with us today. Uh, We'll be hearing more from Pastor David during our worship service, and uh, Tracy will take time to pray for him as part of our worship, and uh, so just so excited to have this chance to reconnect uh, and build on the the friendship that we began uh, in your home and your church in 2017. So thank you for being with us today. Let me pray for us as we get started today. God, we want to call down fire Uh, The the scriptures often describe the work of your Holy Spirit using the imagery of fire and flame. Um, And uh, we want to call down the intensity uh, that fire would represent, that that burning, that deep hunger and desire to know more of who you are and what you're doing in the world uh, among every nation and every people group and what you would call in-town to do. Uh, Lord, fire is consuming and it doesn't stop in the comfort zones. It doesn't obey boundaries. And so we pray for the, your Holy Spirit to do that kind of work in our hearts that we would give ourselves completely to you, that we would not try to keep you inside safe boundaries and offer to you only the parts of ourselves that we're comfortable with. We want your Holy Spirit and your Son Jesus to transform everything about who we are. And when you do that, we will experience greater joy than we could imagine for ourselves. And the world will experience greater blessing than we could manufacture by ourselves. That's the way we begin our morning, is by asking you to send your spirit to work, show us what our calling is in terms of building relationships across cultures, and pursuing avenues to serve you and, and uh, do your work and ministry across those cultural boundaries as well. We offer ourselves to you and cry out for your spirit in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I grew up in a non-Christian home uh, that had touches of uh, formal religion about it. So uh, though none of us around the family table, I'm an only child, me, my mom, and my dad profess faith in Christ, I was always asked to say a blessing. And I developed what I call the post-blessing sip. It's it's, it's a way to to sort of penetrate the awkwardness where everybody around the table knew that we didn't believe any of this stuff, but we just stopped and did something with it. So now what do you do before you start normal conversation? Mmm. You take a sip of something, and so uh, still, I find myself, after I finish praying, often, I want to drink some. So there we go. There we go. Do you feel less awkward now? Um, Also have a bit of a cold, so hot tea is a really uh, really, really good way to combat that. So today we're picking up where we were two weeks ago. Last week we had a guest with us, Dr. Irwin Entz. And uh, so today we're kind of rewinding a bit and looking back to two weeks ago. We asked these questions, "Why this? Why now? Why us?" Why is intown pursuing these emphases on cross-cultural friendship and ministry as a part of our mission? If you look at the bottom of our handout, you see our mission statement. We believe that God has called us to love our community to life by pursuing gospel restoration, the kind of restoration that only the good news about Jesus can produce in our world. That's that's all we have to offer our world. So our calling is to love our community to life through pursuing that why are we starting to see cross-cultural friendships and cross-cultural ministry as an essential part of that calling? And we're giving a six-part answer to that question. Two parts we gave two weeks ago. We'll give two parts today and the final two parts next week. Uh, Two weeks ago, we said, we're doing this because of what God is doing through the gospel, that, that His gospel has always been about all nations, all cultures, all tribes, tongues, peoples, and languages. And secondly, because of what God is doing globally, that uh, the Christian faith has never been rooted in one particular place and fixed there so that you have to come to a particular culture in order to come to Christ Now, have we always gotten that well as a church? No, sometimes we've been just as good at promoting a particular culture as we have the gospel. But at our best, we want to follow what God is doing globally. And so uh, Andrew's been recording these uh, uh, times for us and uh, collecting our handout. So if you weren't able to be here uh, two weeks ago and you want to find out more about those uh, part one and part two of our six-part answer, uh, you can do that. Today we'll move on uh, to answer these questions in a couple of new ways. We want to start though by just hearing from the Lord. Good morning, David. Thanks for praying for me this weekend. Thank you. Thank um, you. These are a couple verses from Acts chapter 17. The Apostle Paul is in the city of Athens and he's giving uh, a speech or some would call it a sermon. Uh, If we said sermon, we'd think it was happening in a religious gathering. It wasn't a particularly religious gathering. Paul was just out in the marketplace saying, let's talk about what's going on with truth and the world. And uh, so he's uh, speaking to people there who don't have a sense of why anyone in Athens should listen to a message about a man from Israel, right? Why would sophisticated philosophical people from Athens listen to a message that came from a small kind of of out-of-the-way place that was so primitive in terms of religion as to believe in, can you, can you imagine it, only one God. The Athenians believed in as many gods as you needed to make it through a day or a week or your life. And here is Paul saying, I know none of you have anything to do culturally with Israel, but believe it or not, this man Jesus who lived there and died there and rose from the dead there is your Lord. He is Lord over all peoples and all nations and cause all people to repent and believe in Him. As part of that speech, Paul says this, God Himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. And He made from one man every ethnos of humanity... Uh, Every nation, it might be translated. uh, Every ethnic group, every people group. God made from one person. Paul is talking about the biblical story of Adam. He's talking to people who aren't familiar with that, so he's not using language that they couldn't understand. If he said Adam, they wouldn't know who Adam was from, well, you know. (laughs) Adam. Adam. God made from one man every ethnos of humanity to dwell upon all the face of the earth. And God determined how long they would live, where they would live, and where they would live. Right? Having determined prescribed periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. God is sovereign over all people groups of the earth. And demographic shifts in our world are not accidental. When people groups move from one place to another, it is not just because of human decisions. It is not just because of government policy. Do those things have an impact and a role? Yeah, but guess what? God is sovereign over all of this. He is at work. Let's move on, move backward in the Scriptures, uh, from the book of Acts to uh, Luke's Gospel. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus sends out 12 apostles. And now in Luke chapter 10, he sends out another group of people in addition to and different from the 12 apostles. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. When Jesus sent out twelve apostles, it was a symbolic uh, number, saying all the tribes of Israel are to be reunited under my gospel. So, one apostle for each tribe of Israel—a way of saying I'm here to call the to call the people back together under me. I am the anointed king, the greater Son of David, and. Uh, So when Jesus sends out, if that was my phone, I apologize, it probably was, it sounds like it. (laughs) He sends out 72. Now, your Bible maybe would have a footnote saying that some manuscripts say 70. We'll talk about that in a moment. He sends out these 72, which also has symbolic significance, It means that all nations of the earth are to be reunited under His gospel. How do we get there? How would we make that conclusion? In Genesis chapter 10, which you heard Dr. Ence mention last weekend, is a table of nations, a list of all the people groups that had descended from the sons of Noah. And in the Hebrew text of Genesis 10, there are 70 nations listed. In the Greek translation of that text, there are 72 listed. Some manuscripts of Luke chapter 10 say Jesus sent out 72. Others, in addition to the apostles, some manuscripts say 70. Probably trying to reach people, some of whom were familiar with reading this story in the Greek text, which listed 72 nations, and and some familiar with reading the Hebrew text that says 70 nations, But either way, symbolizing, however many nations there are on the earth, Jesus is calling all of them back together under Himself. Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel, the division of nations and cultures, dispersion. This Genesis 10 vision of all nations coming together under the headship of Jesus, sometimes we think of this mission and ministry to all nations as something that Jesus mentioned briefly after His resurrection and before His ascension, right? Where's the Great Commission? Matthew chapter... Anybody remember Matthew? 28. How many chapters in Matthew? 28. 28. Right? Like two verses before the close of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus says something about, oh yeah, go reach all nations. Luke is telling us right here in the heart of Jesus' ministry, yes, this is something He talked about after His resurrection. Yes, it's something the church has invested in since the day of Pentecost. But this is something Jesus had on His heart during His earthly ministry. It wasn't an add-on After the resurrection, it wasn't a plan B that came along after things somehow didn't go right in Jerusalem leading up to His crucifixion. Jesus wanted to send a very clear signal right in the middle of His ministry. Yes, I'm calling the twelve tribes of Israel back together under my gospel. I'm also calling all nations of the world together under my gospel. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Why is Jesus saying that? The harvest is in every nation, every culture, every ethnos, every culture, every people group, every language group. And the workers are few. And notice that Jesus doesn't stop to say, Therefore pray earnestly that God would send some white people to reach white people. (laughs) And that God would send some black people to reach black people. And God would send some brown people to reach brown people. Because whatever happens, we don't want these color, color boundaries getting mixed up. Everything about this text sends just the opposite signal. It's human arrogance that led to the Tower of Babel and the dispersion of the nations in Genesis 11. And Jesus is backing us up to Genesis 10 and all the way to Genesis 1 and the harmony with God and with each other that has been intended since the Garden of Eden. Based on these scripture foundations, we can now answer our questions in a couple new ways. Why this? Why now? Why us? Turn over to the back of your handout. Some of you have read this already. One of the things you learn when you teach is uh, don't hand somebody something until you're ready for them to look at it. So I know who you are. And you've already looked at this, and that's okay. Okay. Thanks, Andrew. There's
1: one on the front row. There's like four.
0: Yep, there, there are a few seats on the front row here for those who are um, willing to break outside their Presbyterianism. <laughs> that, too, is a culture, right? See, Lane and David have already courageously punched through the, that barrier of our culture. <laughs> Um, if somebody were to ask me or you hey this cross-cultural stuff Intown hasn't always talked about this the PCA hasn't always talked about this um, I haven't always heard about Luke 10 Jesus sending out the 72 why are we talking so much about this right now two answers are because of where we live and because of when we live Uh, We live in a major metropolitan area. It's the kind of place that worldwide, cities are just becoming increasingly diverse culturally. Uh, You don't have to be a statistician. You just have to open your eyes to look around the places you hang out every day. Our neighbors, our classmates, our colleagues, our friends represent a wide range of cultures. And a couple of statistics to kind of back that up, the the census that was taken in the year 2000 concluded that at uh, the beginning of the 20th century, one out of eight Americans was of a race other than white. By the end of that century, in a 100 year period, the ratio was one out of four. And uh, in the 21st century, that trend is only accelerating. Right? So our, our, our country is becoming increasingly diverse culturally, ethnically, racially. And uh, as we saw in Acts chapter 17, this is not an accident. God is the one who is sovereign over uh, how every ethnos of the earth uh, moves around the globe. Right? That's what the text says. He set the periods and the boundaries. Um, and uh, so this is one of the trends happening under God's sovereign uh, purposes. Uh, another thing to, to factor in here over the past 27 years, a little over 25 year period here, that these statistics were measured, uh, the number of people living in the United States who were born in another country, other than the United States, uh, in 1990 was a little over 23 million. By the year 2017, so that's 27 years, that number had increased from 23 million to f- almost 50 million people living in the United States, born in a country other than the United States. So not just uh, you know second or third generation descended from someone born, in another country, but people living in the US in 2017, almost 50 million born in a country other than the US. That uh, number comes from the Pew Research Center. And uh, so we just see we live in a place that's becoming increasingly diverse under God's purposes and His sovereignty. We live in a part of Atlanta where this diversity is especially evident. Uh, I think it's going to be evident no matter where we live in the Atlanta metro region, but there are some regions where uh, these trends might be operating a little more slowly than others. We live in a part of Atlanta where uh, it's, it's uh, operating uh, pretty quickly and, and something that we can encounter every day. What does that mean? If we're going to love our community to life, we've got to get more skilled at pursuing gospel restoration in relationships with people whose culture is different from our own. Just because of where God has put us, where we live means we've got to get better at cross-cultural friendship and cross-cultural ministry. It, it, our church, the PCA, the, our parent denomination, has typically pursued this kind of vision of reuniting all nations under Jesus through missions, international missions, sending people to other nations. What we're seeing now is God is bringing so many nations together here where we are that when Jesus says pray and ask the Lord of the harvest to raise up laborers, He isn't saying just raise up more missionaries to go to other places. He's saying pray and ask the Lord if He would raise up more missionaries right here and turn all of us into cross-cultural missionaries just to reach the people who live with us where we are. Why do we need to get better? at pursuing gospel restoration in relationship with people whose culture is different than our own because of where we live and because of when we live. We live at a time when a lot of attention is being given to the quality of relationships produced by an institution or a movement. And those of you who are like me, around 50 or maybe older, you, you can think back to decades where the most important question about a church or a spiritual movement would be, is it true? These days, the key question is, does it produce beautiful relationships? Now, as Christians, we know that both of those questions matter. We don't have an option of giving up one of those questions, right? Right. We're called to love what is true and to love what is lovely and beautiful, right? We don't get to give up one of those. Truth is the peanut butter and uh, beauty is the jelly and we're called to make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, right? We, we're called to be both. But the fact is we're living in a moment when many people in our culture would be more offended by the absence of cross-cultural relationships in our church than by the fact that we don't have sound, rational arguments to defend what we believe. The starting place is different in this decade than it was in the decade when I first became a follower of Jesus. And many people today are not starting with the question, hey, is there a, is there a good rational foundation for the things that you guys think are true? Many people's first impression of a church like In Town is going to be Are there beautiful relationships here? And if I don't see enough relationships that involve cross cultural components, I'm already writing you off as not beautiful, not producing the kind of lovely fruit that I would think spiritual truth would bear. Our children, as well as uh, the young adults that In Town is committed to, to reaching or growing up in a world where cultural diversity is just a fact of life. Building relationships across cultures is an assumed value. The very fact that we're having to ask the question on these four Sunday mornings, why this, why now, why us, is saying to many of the young people in the room that we've already missed the point. We We should be assuming that this is part of our calling from their paradigm. Now, we'll ask them to be patient with us and let us catch up to the vision the Lord has for us because we live here now, because of where we live and when we live. Um, So put it this way. If you grow up going to class every day in a room where you're white and you're in the minority and you walk into a church and you're part of the overwhelming majority, at some point you start to think church is where you go to get away from the real world when actually church is where we ought to come to get in touch with the deepest realities about the world we live in. Right. So there's a real danger that I will lose my children if we don't grow in this way and their children. So a part of this I'm talking about as a pastor, as a disciple of Jesus who's trying to grow and learn myself. I'm talking like a daddy and a granddaddy. Um, and uh, why? Well, Generation Z Plus, now that name is probably not going to stick, right? Generation Z is what uh, people are calling folks 19 and under. Z Plus is, is children 9 years old and younger by the time they get to marketable age, they will have a more catchy nickname than Generation Z+, plus, I'm certain, right? Generation Z-plus is minority white. For the first time in the history of the United States, there are more children who are minorities than who are white. At every age from zero to nine, if you count all the one-year-olds in the United States right now, there would be more minority one-year-olds than white one-year-olds in the United States. You can do that for six-month-old, two, three, four, all the way up to nine. So what that means is the world that you and I might remember from when we were nine is not the world that that your nine-year-old is growing up in. And so that's why this is going to be a more pressing question for... Uh, generations that are coming up than it might be for those of us who are old. Right? We, we've got to get better at pursuing friendships with people whose culture is different than our own and at ministries that are intentionally designed to build relationships across cultural boundaries. Why? Because of where we live, God has put us in a place where that's the reality and that's what's happening. And if we're called to reach our community... Our community is not just white. And because of when we live. The young people growing up in our world will not give us time to say why we think the resurrection is true. If they look at us and see we have no interest in building relationships with people who aren't just like us. They will write us off. I'm not a prophet of doom and gloom. I've been here for three and a half years, and I think you probably know that I'm mostly an optimist, at least in public. (laughs) But um, these are things that are happening in our world. Intel's vision statement says, we want to fulfill God's unique design for us as a thriving, relevant church. If we don't learn to follow Jesus in praying that the Lord would raise us up as laborers for this harvest that would reunite all nations and cultures and ethnoi of the earth under his gospel. If if we don't get on board with what he's doing, we are not going to be perceived as a relevant church or a thriving church. Now, when I say that, I panic on the inside just a little bit right but then I remember oh this is what Jesus is doing and this is what he's calling and equipping us to do we don't have to sit and stew in doom and gloom and say oh you know it's been fun while it lasted but we'll just fade off into irrelevance and whatever the opposite of thriving is for a few decades and you know, I'll stand at the tiller until the ship finally crashes. And No, Jesus is at work. We have confidence in Him. And if this is something that we haven't had as intentional a focus on uh, in the past, well, he, He's able to change us. He's at work. We, we don't need to worry. We just need to be ready to follow where He leads. Um, Nobody knew quite what that meant in the first century. And yet they followed Him. We may not know exactly quite what it means to follow Him today. But um, we're not following the vision of our comfort or our potential for success. We're following Jesus. And He says, harvest is plentiful. I want to bring all the nations back together under my gospel. Let's do it. So, a couple of answers to those questions. Why this? Why now? Why us? Because of where we live and because of when we live. I uh, want to call some guests up to help us think about these things this morning. Uh, so, uh, Rhiannon Evangelista, Elisa Hoover, Kirk and Susie Glaze, and Julian Hogan are going to come help us to unpack some of what God has been doing uh, over the past couple of weeks in our lives. So you remember last weekend uh, we had a guest here with us, Dr. Erwin Um He's currently the moderator of the PCA's General Assembly. Uh, there Only about one percent of our denomination's members are African-American. And Erwin uh, is uh, an African-American brother who Is uh, trying to help us learn how to follow Jesus and and getting better at uniting all cultures and all nations under His gospel. So we're really grateful that He could be with us last uh, weekend and wanted some folks who had been part of the conference when Erwin was here to come and just help us process what do what do you think God was teaching us? And uh, so this week we shared some questions and gave them opportunity to reflect. Um, So. If if you hate being put on the spot, your greatest fear right now is that these people didn't know they were going to be asked these questions. They did, right? We even have written notes to prove it. So um, we didn't talk about who goes first, so I think it's just going to be, you know, who, who, um, who jumps up and grabs the microphone kind of thing. But tell us, if you would... Uh, What was one significant thing that you learned through uh, hearing from Dr. Entz? What was God teaching you uh, as we met together and listened to him and had him speak to us in worship? Tell us a little bit about something you learned. We'll hear highlights from two or three of you on that. Susie, thank you. I think it is. You have to kind of eat it eat it like ice cream, like that. All right. So um,
2: I think it was the Sunday morning session when um, he was talking about beautiful community and he referenced um, a passage from Romans 15 and it was um, 5 through 7. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus that together. You may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And what Erwin said was um, that God's welcome is active and He chases us and He pursues us and that we should pursue those who are different from us. And it's a lot of what Jimmy was saying this morning. And I think it struck me because I thought um, how... I can be content to um, believe that we're all image bearers and believe that, you know, the body of Christ or the body um, is full of people from all different cultures and I can um, be comfortable in just believing that and not acting on it and so I think it really encouraged me to actively pursue relationships. and not just be content with thinking, oh, yeah, I
0: agree with that, but I need to actively pursue that. Thanks, Susie. Anybody else? Wanna share a highlight? Rihanna? Thank you.
3: Good morning. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, so I think maybe to that's too much.
0: Please <laughs> work <on> it that. <laughs> Alex has got you covered. Here, let's try this. Okay. I think it's better now. Is All right, better? very good.
3: Yeah, okay. Um, so for me, I think um, among the many things that I was thinking about and reflecting about, um, based on Dr. Ince's many presentations, was this idea of the completeness and the thoroughness of our ideas in the Bible of archaeology of being the image of God, and how humans are the image of God. Um, I teach world history and American history at a college in Princeton, And so I teach the basic ideas of the major world religions and philosophies. And it really struck me that Christianity seems to have um, at least one, if not the most complete idea, about the real dignity of humans and bases it in very complete ideas. And I was particularly struck by this quote from Martin Luther King Jr. that talked about, I'm paraphrasing, I don't remember exactly what, about how what makes us humans and what separates us from animals is the uh, capacity to have fellowship with God. That our capacity to have fellowship with God. Is and as I was reflecting on that, I was thinking that really means that if humans are built for a relationship with God, if we're in that relationship with God, we have almost unlimited potential and unlimited power from God to enter into relationships with each other, um, especially with people who are different from us. And so I found that to really cool. be. Thank you. Maybe yeah, you're
4: not the same that's to the one. I like think has really the highlight of what you were saying, um, and really this idea of like the image of God is kind of shared between all of us and everybody around the world. And so, uh, for me, it helped me kind of picture that better because there are so many people I admire like, for, for for one specific reason, for example. And just thinking, oh, but God has this, that plus this and, this, and this, and this, and all that together. Is a glimpse of what God uh, did, so it really helped me, and I think it also helped me um, value others better. Um, I don't know if you realize it. So in French, we don't say the same. Way, but you, you say that people are gifted, and I was like thinking that's interesting because you have this idea of it was given to you. Other languages don't say that; just say that you are your, you have a capacity. But you say you gifted capacity. And I think that was. Uh, and I way to say that even in your language, it's actually this idea of God giving you this of what he is he's already there. Is
1: this be... Um I think the two things that stuck out to me the most from last weekend, the first was this idea of divine dissatisfaction Um, where once God has put an issue on your heart, it is impossible to ignore it. You can't unsee it. So I know he said, be careful what you pray for, because when you get it, you won't be able to let it go. Um, And so I'm so encouraged that the church is pursuing cross-cultural friendship and ministry, um, because I know that once once we are all talking about it and aware of these issues more, we won't be able to unsee it. And so I'm encouraged to see where this divine dissatisfaction takes us in the future. The other thing that stuck out to me last uh, weekend—I don't know what he said—is probably in the second of the nighttime talks. Um, But talking about the image of God, and you guys touched on this a little bit, um, but just how diverse the image of God is, and how we as human beings, no one person can capture the wholeness of the image of God, so that it takes all of humanity throughout all of time and history to fully capture the diversity of His nature. Um, which I think in the past when I've heard about the image of God, it's always told to us, which is very true, you know, giving each individual person dignity and worth, um, and so it's more of an encouragement of, you have value, which is so true, but I, I have never really heard about the image of God and, and how it is so diverse because of how it's reflected in all of humanity throughout all of time. So I think that was, it was encouraging to hear, you know, how we can see that throughout all
0: of humanity. Okay, thank you. Um, a few things. Uh, I'll, I'll just, one of the
5: passages that Earl talked about uh, was from John 17, which is known as the High Priesthood Prayer. And um, in that, he, Jesus asked that his disciples, and he's talking about not just those who are with him, but we all turn I I like those verses, Um, I think that's uh, verse 21 of chapter 17, and Francis Schaeffer does a a nice emphasis on that verse, uh, because Jesus says, that the world may know that you sent me, and Schaeffer says, what Jesus is doing is giving the watching the world who don't know the ability to judge whether or not Jesus came, by the way, is those who believe in Him and love Him or It should be the proof point of living, uh, and it goes in line with what Jimmy was saying many ago about, um, you know, that the, uh, the credibility we have with the world is established. Not by necessarily at first these days, by whether our message is true, but by whether we love one another and how we treat each other within the body. And the reason for that, I think, it goes back to that uh, uh, that prayer and, and, and before but, that Jesus is saying, well, the world should have that right. They have the right to judge whether I was sent by the Father. Um, Another thing that struck me was uh that made lastly made me reflect on my, my growing up and, and attitudes growing up and I grew up Southern Baptist and on Alabama and I'm and, um, and everyone, you know, every ethnicity had its own church. Uh, and even believing that well they're Christians, we're Christians. This group, this church, you know. Uh, and we'll all be in heaven together someday and worshiping. And that's great. We'll, you know, we're, It's okay to be separate now because one day we're all going to be together. Um, and obviously that's just so long. Cool. Uh, and now um, we really don't even hardly have the option to feel that way. Not if, not if we're going to obey
0: Thank you. <clears throat> so, um, asked a couple other questions, asked you guys to reflect on the, these realities of where we live and when we live. Could you speak to how you see those things showing up in your day-to-day routine? How do you see, um, how do you see the, the place we live growing more diverse and, and how does that impact you and your everyday relationships? Uh, or maybe how, how do you see the when we live component, the uh, younger generations being more passionate about uh, how this might bear witness to the truth of Christianity. Uh, so, yeah, run with it. Okay. Okay. okay.
3: Um, I think <clears throat> for the, the first one, for where, um, for me in my life, um, I've been involved in IFC almost as long as I've been going to in town, and I think IFC reflects a lot of our community. Uh, there's a lot of people from Emory, there's a lot of people from GSU, a lot of people who live around here <coughs> to the IFC, the International Friendship Community. And um, I would say that being involved in IFC has been something that has really impacted my life in a in a big way and made me think about these things perhaps in a different way. I it wasn't very long after starting going to IFC that I got asked to be in a Bible study with a young Chinese woman who was interested in learning more about the Bible. And um, so I was meeting with her with uh, a Quinty to be involved in it and um, and she ended up becoming a Christian. And then, uh, less than a year after that, uh, Juliana Lynn asked me to be part of the Bible study and uh, more generally for women in IFC. And I have to say that I've really never seen God work so dramatically and so directly in people's lives as I have seen since I've been involved in IFC and in um, particularly these Bible studies getting to know these women and seeing God work in their lives in ways of absolutely amazing. It just shocks me. I mean, I shouldn't be so shocked when God works so dramatically in people's lives, but I really am all the time. <laughs> and um, I also have to say, related to this, i just learned a lot from people who come from other cultures, from people who have no familiarity with the Bible and zero cultural background related to Christianity. They read the Bible and see different things in my or other Christians, people who have been Christians for a long time that have just come from other cultures, which they have experienced persecution. Um, and maybe the Bible in a way that kind of points out to me some of my own maybe cultural blind spots, things I don't see but things I don't notice or I only really notice in a certain way. So to me, I've just grown a lot being in relationship with other people as we kind of explore the Bible, whether they're Christians or not. Um, that has been something that's really changed, changed me. As something
0: uh, i Thanks. Yeah, I just wanted
4: to uh, sh- share an example of how to, for me it was uh, helpful to uh, this cross cultural interaction. So for me it's everyday because I'm not American <laughs> <laughs> too. Um and I just and really it's like have it is eye opening for you when you start interacting with other people on it's not about that, it's about how you think and how. Um, and so I just give this example that we had at work. So I at Emory, and we were interviewing this new student, and there was this, um, this quote on her curriculum detail that says she got this award, which is for people with extraordinary skills likely to impact humanity. And I was shocked by that, and I was like, really impact humanity? Yeah. And so I was talking with all my American colleagues. And I ended up saying, you know, none of what we're doing it really impacts humanity. And they were all shocked, or depressed, like, what, what do you think we're working for? Uh, it's impacting our patients, but not humanity. And, and then I, I realized that in France, if you say that, it's like sounding super pretentious. And also, because of our history, we don't really want to say that we're trying to impact other people and other countries. And it did not turn very well. Yeah, I was like, yeah, and I think to it every time I was sitting at church, I was like, yeah, as a Christian, I, I should, like, to say I want to impact my not because of me, but because of what God is doing through me, so I was like, yeah, maybe it's, it's my cultural background like, is speaking, uh, but I should maybe be able to say that, and my holy, some of them, not all of them. Some were just mad at me, but some were like, realizing that oh, yeah, maybe the way we present it is very American, like Captain America can to save the world, but maybe we should see that you cannot present it like that. It's a little different. And I think we both learn a lot of that, and I think uh, that can be out of the church, that can be in the church, like seeing how how, how you think, how, how you think is really completely soaked with... Your background, your culture—what
0: I mean—and that's something you realize when you start talking with people that don't have the same one. That was helpful. Thanks, Julie. Um, I think we're going to have to let Elisa close out our time. So, um, yeah, tell us a little bit about uh, what—if you could speak to people of older generations about the when we live reality. What, 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 What would you say to us?
1: Um, well, so I work in the theater. For those of you guys that don't know, I work with a couple theaters around town. Um, a few that are downtown, kind of in the heart of the city. And so my experience with work is incredibly diverse. Um, the people that work in the theater racially, uh, in terms of religious beliefs and sexuality, they are all incredibly diverse and open about that. And they love to talk about how everyone is you know, different and unique, and they love to celebrate that. So that diversity is something that I experience every day in my work life, um, and I think, let's with what us start before the point you said earlier, Jimmy, is just this idea that younger generations are more concerned with beautiful relationships than necessarily with the truth, and my experience with people in the theater is often that they, they know the teachings of the church, a lot of them have grown up in the church and have since turned away from that because of their experience with how people in the church treat other people particularly uh, in how they discriminate against people of different sexuality or the way that they identify with their gender. Um, And so they see Christians as pretty close-minded and hypocritical. And so for me, working in the theater has become a very long-term ministry because you can't just uh, assault them with the truth because they don't want to hear it. They know it. So it's a very long-term mission of building relationships and building close friendships, and it takes a long time to build up trust when they know that you're a Christian it takes a long time to build up that trust. And when they see the way that you treat other people, uh, the way that you are pursuing beautiful relationships, then they feel comfortable asking you questions about why you believe what you believe. Um, because they, they want to see the fruits of what you believe before they want to know about the truth. So that, that was something that I definitely see every day.
0: Wow! Thanks for sharing that with us. Um, had the privilege uh, not long ago sitting down with Elisa's sister Kathleen, and um, <clears throat> receiving Kathleen as a member of our congregation and talking to her about her faith. And I remember closing that conversation with um, reflecting on how Kathleen is a missionary in uh, in her high school um, because she's surrounded by people who have. Have come to view Christianity as um, a, group, a movement that involves people who are not willing to use their brains, uh, who are anti intellectual, and a movement of people who are mean and uh, immorally bigoted. And so each one of us has an opportunity to be a missionary and to create a category for people to, that really explodes their presupposition that says, wait a minute. I know Christians are stupid and mean and immoral bigots, but here's this person that confuses me, this person like Elisa who believes all that stuff, but she's willing to use her brain, and she's not mean, she's loving and kind, and, and she wants to get to know me. So I can't write her off creating that confusion for people, and that's part of our calling as missionaries. Missionaries wherever the Lord has put us and whenever He has placed us there. So, proud to know you, my missionary friend. Let me pray for us and then we'll go worship together. Father, thank You for Rhiannon and her gifts and uh, genuine love for You. Thank You for Julian and the way that you have worked in his life and world and brought him here so that we could see your glory in his life. Thank you for Elisa and the love that she has for a group of people who are often very hardened toward the church and Christianity and and her vision to see this long-term calling to ministry in the place where she um, uses her passions for theater. Thank you, Father, for the Glazes, for Kirk and Susie, and uh, their many years of leadership and service here at InTown. Town. Would you continue to bless each of these and um, help, help all of us to look to them and see the work that you're doing, and ask that you would do the same kind of work in our lives? We thank you for our brothers and sisters. And we thank you now for uh, the opportunity to worship you and ask that you would uh, meet us as we sing the word, as we pray the word, as we preach and hear the word, uh, as we see the word in the sacraments. Through Jesus we pray. Amen.